This event was recorded at the 2018 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival, or welcome back as it's more likely to be. Um, I'm Dan Gunn, and I'm a literary editor and a translator and a professor of comparative literature. Uh, but let me start with an apology, as Norwegian is not one of my languages, and I'm afraid I'm going to make rather a hash of the pronunciation of uh, the Norwegian names, though I have been taking some coaching, but still it will probably escape me. Fortunately, uh, beside me on my right is the translator, literary translator Kari Dixon, who will be serving as our interpreter today. Uh, before we get going, uh, can I remind you of a few practical things? Uh, to switch off the ringer on your mobile phones. Um, if you wish to tweet, uh, please do so only after the house lights come up, which they will probably about two-thirds of the way through as we open up for questions from the audience. Um, and there will be a book signing tent in the adult tent, uh, which <laughs> I think it used to be just called the main bookshop. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, it's di directly after our event, to which, of course, all you adults are invited. Um, and if you have questions for our author or for Carrie, um, please do uh, ask them in our session, but also um, at the tent, uh, but not as we try and get um, our author to the tent. So uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome for his second visit to the Edinburgh International Book Festival, the great Norwegian novelist, essayist and commentator Dag Solstad. And to thank the Hawthornden Literary Retreat, which is sponsoring this event. Dag has written uh, roughly 30 books and has received countless literary awards and accolades. He's the only author to have received the Norwegian Literary Critics Award three times. His works have been translated into at least 20 languages. I never like to go on too much about this sort of thing because you can read that anywhere. And we're here to celebrate particularly two novels, both of which came out this year in English. Um, Armand V., this one, which came out in paperback, which was published in 2006 in its original Norwegian, and this year in an English translation by the late Stephen T. Murray. And T. Singer, this one, hardback, published originally in 2011, and also published this year in English translation, this time by Tina Nanali. Both, I must say, I mean, I'm reading them only in translation, both seem to me wonderful translations. And here's how I thought uh, the event today might go. First, I'm going to ask Dag to read a short passage from T. Singer. Uh, the principle behind this is that for those of you who, like me, don't have Norwegian, I think it's vital to hear how the prose sounds. And for all of us, with or without Norwegian, I think it's important to hear the prose, and it's a privilege to hear the prose read in the author's own voice. Carrie will then read the corresponding passage in English and will invite Dag to comment. And um, then Carrie will read another short passage from T. Singer and we'll have some questions and I'll read a couple of very short passages from Armand V. And there'll be time for some of the questions I have for Dag and of course we'll then turn to you, the audience, for your questions. Could I just start by taking a quick show of hands because... Uh, nothing about Dag's work is obvious and, and how much I might say might depend a little bit on um, how, much, how many of you are familiar with his work already, have read some. So about a, th a little bit less than half. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and do a little bit of summary and excuse me, uh, those of you who have, have read it, because you'll, you'll realise how inadequate my summaries are. Um, so, first, um, we'd like to invite Dag to read. From this? Yeah. 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 Okay. <coughs> det må ha vært en voldsom forandring i Singers liv. Knapt hadde han vendt seg til sitt nye liv på Notodden før han befann seg som mann i en liten familie på tre, mann, kone og et lite barn. Visste han hva han gikk til? Selvfølgelig visste hva han, hva han gikk til. 
Han gikk jo med åpne øyne inn i det, blendet av Berete Seters vesen, gikk han fornøyd imot henne og inntok sin plass som mann i hennes lille familie. Ikke bare forskjønnet han henne, hun må ha forskjønnet Singer også. I hvert fall var Singer denne høsten ivrig opptatt med å ta førekort for personbil, noe han maktet et stykke ut på nyåret. Selvfølgelig var det på sterk oppfordring og under stad oppmuntring fra Mariette at han gikk lette skritt og til like gjennomførte det. Han hadde ikke et øyeblikk tenkt på å ta selfikat eller kjøre bil før. Han hadde greid seg utmerket godt uten, men Merete hadde insistert. Man måtte ha førekort for å leve i norske småbyer, hevdet hun. Det var ingen vei utenom. Dessuten gledet hun seg til å se om som sjåfør bak natten på en bil. Det var et syn hun ville like, og som hun så fram til. Singer bak natten. Så derfor... Med et lite skuldertrekk, nok så muntert i fasongen, droppet altså Stinger opp hos nye lærer, sjåførlæreren. For at hun skulle få dette syn, Stinger bak rattet på hennes gamle lada stasjonsvogn. Det fikk hun se en gang ut på nyåret, og deretter kunne man rett som det var se Stinger som bilfører i Notodden og Åbein. Bak rattet på den gamle lada stasjonsvognen ved siden av den. I forsettet, hans kone. I baksettet, i et dertil egnet barnesettet, godt fastspent, lille Isabella. De kjørte på søndagsturer, på glatte veier til og med, opp til Tuddal og Foten og Gaustad toppen for å gå på ski. Singer konsentrert på akkurattet på de smale, svingete veiene. Dette er Singer, en forskjønnet utgave av den Singer vi kjenner. Hjemme tilbrakte de mye tid på kjøkkenet. Merete Seter likte å lage mat og brukte de mye tid på å få enkle og billige ingredienser til å bli de lekkeste retter. Hadde dette som helhet vært en lykkeligere for ikke å si en mer lettlivet bok, så burde tilbake til denne boken ha vært en avdeling med Merete Seters beste oppskrifter beklageligvis lar det seg ikke gjøre av årsaker som vi ikke skal komme inn på her. To give a little context for those of you who have not read this novel, just before Carrie reads the equivalent passage in English, T. Singer, the protagonist, is a deeply, dis, I suppose we could say, dissociated character. Um, feelings bordering on something a bit like Asperger's, anyway, very somehow disconnected. And at the same time, he has a thin sort of social veneer that allows him to operate in society. He's not, a, he's not an outcast. He's chosen to be a librarian. Um, he has a much less... <laughs> Thank you. I'm <laughs> It's a very conscious choice after he fails as a novelist. Um, he has a much less glamorous life than Armand V, who's a, a, a career diplomat. His life, Singer, seems to be determined partly by the need not to feel embarrassed. Um, first, he dreams of becoming a writer, but he never really gets beyond the first sentence, which he keeps endlessly varying and writing over and over again. And then, as I mentioned, he takes on a job as a librarian in Notodden, in the middle of no, well, it feels like in the middle of nowhere. It's no doubt not like that to the people who live there, but uh, uh, Dag makes it feel like a long way to get there. He tries to disappear or become somehow anonymous. And on the final leg of his journey to Notorden, he meets a business mogul who befriends him and takes him into his mansion and dinner. It's really the stuff of fairy stories almost. It's an extraordinary passage. The two men have a long conversation that reveals to Singer the purpose of this town. And one expects a friendship to grow between these two characters, but no, the mogul, we never meet him again. He disappears out of the novel. Uh, which is not untypical of how these novels work. Um, Singer starts his job, meets a woman with whom he falls in love. As the novel puts it, I quote, two days later, it happened. Singer fell in love. So very long passages, then very, very sharp, short things. He moves in with Marietta, 
And uh, this is a bit how it's described, in a way, their love. Okay. It must have been a drastic change in Singer's life. He had barely grown accustomed to his new life in North Odden before he ended up a man with a small family of three, husband, wife and a little child. Did he know what he was getting into? Of course he knew what he was getting into. He went into it with open eyes. Dazzled by Maria Tassetta's very being, he moved towards her with pleasure and took his place as the husband in her small family. Not only did he glorify her, she must have glorified Singer as well. In any case, during that autumn, Singer eagerly preoccupied, was eagerly preoccupied with getting a driving license, which he succeeded in doing shortly after the new year. Of course, it was because of the strong urging and steady encouragement from Mirietta that he took this step and achieved his goal. Not for a moment had he ever considered getting a license or driving a car. He'd managed quite well without it, but Mirietta had insisted. She claimed it was essential to have a driving license if you were going to live in a small Norwegian town. There was no getting around it. Besides, she was looking forward to seeing him as a driver sitting behind the wheel of the car. That was a sight she would enjoy, and she was looking forward to it. Singer behind the wheel. And so, with a little shrug merrily delivered, Singer trooped over to see his new teacher, the driving instructor. So that Marietta would be able to see Singer behind the wheel of her old ladder station wagon. And that was what she saw shortly after the new year. And after that, Singer could be seen driving around North Odden and the surrounding area, behind the wheel of the old ladder station wagon. Next to him in the front seat was his wife. In the back seat, in an appropriately designed child seat and securely strapped in, was little Isabella. They went for Sunday drives, even when the roads were icy, up to Tuddal and to the foot of the Mount Gaustertoppen to go skiing. Sitting behind the wheel, Singer focused his attention on the narrow winding roads. This is Singer, a glorified version of the Singer we know. At home, they spent a lot of time in the kitchen. Maria Tessieta liked to cook, spending a lot of time in turning the simplest and cheapest ingredients into the most delicious dishes. If this had generally been a happier, not to mention a more light-hearted book, then at the very end of the book, there would have been a section with Maria Tessieta's best recipes. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not going to happen, for reasons that we will not explain here. Thank you. Um, when I've been fortunate enough to interview the great uh, Hungarian writer Laszlo Krasnohorkai, who actually has quite good English, um, I've asked him how he experiences his work when he hears it in English, read out. And he said it feels like something totally distant and alien to him. And this is, he explains, because the sound of the words is for him almost as important as the sense. And so I have, in a way, the similar question for mm. Doug. Um, how does it feel when you hear your work read out in English? How does it feel when you hear your work read out in English? He talks about Laszlo Krasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasnokrasn
Mm. One of my own personal amusements in witnessing the, these two novels that have come out is uh, watching the blurb writers try to summarise these novels. And if you've read one or either of them, you'll know what a challenge they faced. Because in the case of both the novels we're discussing, the blurb is almost hilariously um, misguided in a way. It misses the mark so completely. I'm not saying I could do better. Um, and this is because they make it sound as if plot or narrative where, uh, as in most novels, one of the main or the main driving force, along with character. Whereas those of you who read uh, Dag at all will know, plot and character, they emerge, but they're almost immediately destroyed in some way or disassembled. Plot's never linear. It's always going back and forth, looping round, going, ending at the beginning. Causality or motive is always being questioned and somehow undermined in some way. And characters end up often feeling deeply inscrutable. Um, characters are shown to be f subject to forces beyond their control. And okay. uh, we're reminded of this very often, such as in the passage Carrie just read, by the sudden intervention of the author who says, this is not, this is not the sort of book, this is not the sort of character. So what we usually call metafiction, where the author intervenes as author. The characters are often have just ciphers V or K or T, a bit in the Kafka manner. And what we expect to be minor characters often take over the plot completely. So in Armand V, we're just getting to know Armand when we learn about his group of friends who are humanists or humanities students. And then we, but there's one student who's also a science student. And then we get 50 pages on these science students. So we, we sort of lose our character for, uh, for quite a long time. Um, so it's very, very hard to summarise uh, a, 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 a story or a plot. Um, so in both of the cases, the, the characters in the wee bit sort of split off from himself in some way. In the case of Armand V, as I mentioned, he's a highly successful career diplomat who seems to be working for countries whose ideals he doesn't really share. And yet he does this without quite becoming a cynic. In the case of Singer, he's self-absorbed, antisocial, and his ideal is close to disappearance, a sort of Bartleby figure, if you know that story. So I won't be accused, therefore, of releasing a spoiler, since plot is so unimportant in a way. If I let on that Singer's wife, Marietta, dies in a car accident, leaving the widower Singer with her daughter to look after. And in a way, the passage that... Um, that Kari is about to read is, is about this death. And it, again, it's it also the, the main events all happen off in some way. This meaningless death seemed doubly meaningless to those closest to her because it had happened at a place where they thought it surprising from death to say that to have been at all. She lost her life in a car accident on the E18, but at, the, at that moment she should have been on the E11, somewhere between Drummond and Kongsberg because she'd been in Oslo and was supposed to be on her way home to Nordodden. The E11 wasn't the, simply the fastest route, it was the only route, unless you intended to take a big detour, which was what Marietta Seter had apparently decided to do. This irregularity made Marietta's death even more incomprehensible than it would have been, and her parents in particular could not let this go. They kept circling around her again and again, and even though Singer tried to console them by saying that Mireta had previously taken a detour on the E18 and then turned inland, either at Sander or Holmestrand. This might have been understandable on a summer day, but not on a grey winter day when, there was noth when nothing was visible. Everything seemed erased in a grey-white haze. But maybe that's what attracted her, said Mireta's brother, Per Christian. The silence of the winter landscape. Her parents accepted this. Maybe they thought that it was a lovely notion which, for a moment, they muted their pain. Even though Marietta never got that far, she never entered the winter landscape between Sander and Kongsberg or Holmestrand and Kongsberg. Instead, the thread of her life was abruptly severed in the middle of the E18, near a densely populated area. And by the way, the area was Sander, and when Martin Seater, Mirjata's father, father realised that, he was also able to determine that the accident occurred right before Mirjata would have exited the E18 and headed into the enticing winter silent landscape along the R32. This made the randomness of Mirjata's death even more painful. A hundred metres, that was all that had separated her from life. 
a hundred meters that she could have covered by driving a little faster, a hundred meters that the hothead in the fatal vehicle could have delayed by reaching by losing his patience in some, some seconds later. Then Marietta would have slipped onto the R32 and enjoyed the silence of the grey-white landscape past Hof and Wietingfoss, and from there along to Numedalslogen, and the river now frozen in wintertime. In that sense, Marietta's death might be experienced as triply meaningless, and in truth a terrible injustice, struck down as she was by blind chance, though there had been three crystal-clear opportunities to avoid this happening. Thank you. Um, one of the things you hear in that passage, I think, and it's here, for example, when, when uh, Singer sets off to Notoden, we have, I can't remember how many pages, maybe five or ten pages of the possible train journeys he might have taken, the directions, very, very intense detail um, about things that we usually don't see in novels particularly. Um, but setting which is, I suppose, along with character and plot, is one of the main elements of a novel. Setting can sort of take over in a novel here, um, and often very, very intense detail. Um, th wh wh one of the things that will strike you when you first, if you haven't yet uh, entered Dag's world, is pacing is very, very unusual. Um, I, I, I can think of one or two writers a little bit like this, but the pacing is very hard to anticipate. Ten pages can be devoted to an ostensibly trivial matter, such as a almost like a recipe, for example, um, uh, or an embarrassing moment and its consequences, while a protagonist like Singer can find a partner, get married, and find himself with a child in two or three sentences. So it's, it's, it's very, very unusual um, waiting, if you can put it that way. I want to ask Dag a bit about that in a second. So, But my next question for Dag was, when I read him for the first time, I heard echoes of some of my f other favorite contemporary writers that some of you will know, like W.G. Siebald or Thomas Bernhard, and at times a bit of Milan Kundera. And then when I thought about Kundera, who writes often almost in an essayistic way, I thought what's behind a lot of Kundera's work is 18th century fiction. And actually, Dag's work makes me think a lot of uh, British 18th century novelists um, before sort of realistic novels or sort of 20, uh, 19th century Victorian novel took over. And if someone asked me what Dag most sounds like, I would say a sort of um, contemporary Norwegian Tristram Shandy, because you hardly get going and then you're off in a, another direction. Digression becomes the guiding principle um, and character and plots sort of get searched up to the side. So that's my question for Dag. Do, it, do any of these names of among contemporaries seem significant to you? And if not, are there any other novelists from whom, when you were building up your work and your reputation, that you drew strength to be able to write such unconventional novels? So han nevne her um, samtidsforfattere som V.G. Sebald Bernhard og Milan Kundera, og han lurer på om de har noen betydning for det du skriver, eller om det er noen andre... Um, tidigare författare som har betydning för din författarskap. Ja. Uh, jag ser att 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 denna Seba och det jag jag många har anbefallt mig särskilt att läsa Seba, men jag har aldrig kommit in i det författarskapet där. Det det skärdes sig när jag började på det så blir det det är ett land av strakt där som jag inte grejer och försonar mig med och men jag ska få lovt till mina vänner och Gjør enda et nytt forsøk på å lese sånn. Ok. Men, ja. I know the name Seabold, but I've never actually read him. Every time I start reading, there's something that stops me. And there's something very abstract that I can't get past. But I do want to make another attempt to... And I promise my friends that I will try to read him. Ja, men når det gjelder Bernhard, så er jeg en stor stor beundrer av han. Jeg pleier å si det at... Men jeg er glad jeg ikke kjente ham for godt. Fordi at jeg... Det hadde vært hvis jeg hadde sittet på restaurantbordet sammen med Bernard i dagevis, så ville jeg blitt veldig slitt av ham. 
Men bortsett fra det, så er jeg veldig fascinert av det han skriver. Kundra var jeg også veldig begeistret for. Vi tar Bernard først. Så, I'm a great admirer of Bernard, but I have often said that it's a good thing that I didn't know him too well, because if I had to sit at a restaurant with him for days on end, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it quite as much. Og Kundra var jeg også, har jeg også vært veldig, veldig begeistret for, da. Og... Jeg har tilvalgt et foredrag om han, for han begynner å bli en av de som begynner å gå i glemmeboken nå. Så jeg skal gjerne slå et slag fram. Men det er noe med det måten han skriver på, som jeg blir veldig tiltalt av. Det er vel også det at hovedpersonen i kundere har... Det går dem ikke alltid så bra. Og det går heller ikke blinde personer så veldig bra med alltid. Men hvis det er andre forfatter som jeg nevner, så er det også at det er veldig mye klassiske modernister, som Prost, Thomas Mann, Kafka. Og ikke minst den fatter jeg oppdaget veldig tidlig i mitt liv, i 25-årsalderen, Polakken Gombrovich. I'm also a great admirer of Kundera, and I've actually written a lecture about him. Du har skrevet en foredrag om han. Du har gitt om Kundera. Ja. Because he's starting to be forgotten as an author. He's not as popular anymore. I'm attracted to the way he writes and the fact that his protagonist, because things don't always go so well for his protagonist in the same way that they don't go well for mine. Um, otherwise, um, in terms of the classics, it's Proust, Thomas Mann, can't remember the Kafka, third, Kafka mm. and and the um, the Polish author Gombrowicz. Gombrowicz, who he read when he was twenty-five. Right, and um, can, can I ask Dag? I, I, I'm. It's a difficult. I don't know how quite to put it. Sometimes I'm not sure if I'm meant to be laughing or not. Because, uh, and, and I wonder when he's writing, is he laughing inside at times? Because obviously the, what happens to the characters is not fun in this, in either novel very much. But, but there's a sort of, there's something in the style that is hilarious. It's okay. because your expectations are constantly being undermined, so. Han lurer på det med latter, at når du skriver, ler du av det som skjer, for at på overflaten så er det ikke så veldig morsomt, men samtidig så er det noe, uhyrlig morsomt, og det er veldig stor humor i det som ikke skjer, og det som... Det hender, det hender jeg trekker på smilebåndet, det hender til meg ler, men det er veldig skjelt, det er veldig skjelt, veldig mye av det som nok objektivt sett er morsomt. Det synes ikke jeg er morsomt i det hele tatt. Jeg synes ofte det bare er trist. Ok. I quite often smile, but I don't laugh that much. And there are things that might seem humorous objectively, but actually they're very sad. Det er vel det at det er vel det at jeg har vel en tendens til å rote personen min opp i situasjoner som er umulig å løse. Og det beskriver jeg i side opp og side ned på. So I have a tendency to put my characters in the situations that are unsolvable, and I write about it page up and page down. Yeah. Turning to Armand V, I, I, I'd like to read just a, just probably maybe one passage to give you more time for questions. Um, this is a novel which in one sense is much more in the world than um, T. Singer, because as I mentioned, the protagonist is a career diplomat who ends up actually as Norwegian ambassador to the United Kingdom. He's a servant of his country and living with the contradictions that produces, given he's not a nationalist and doesn't really believe in the values his country represents. His son becomes an elite soldier and uh, serving a foreign policy which um, Armand profoundly disagrees with. And so the issue of public service becomes moot. And those of you who know Dag's earlier work will know that uh, political strain is very important in his work. And this passage comes from near the end of the novel. 
And after the one sort of unmitigatable event has happened, which is his son has been blinded in action, uh, almost immediately, it seems, upon taking action. And uh, this brings to head Armand's devotion to and hostility to uh, public service and his country. Armand v, is, uh, Armand v. in service to his little Norwegian nation. With its strong, even unflinching tie to the world's mightiest nation, the United States, a population of less than five million people, but an economically strong nation, favoured with rich natural resources that could be exploited at times when there was particularly great interest in such resources in terms of international economic policies. During the Cold War, which had just ended, it had been a nation with a strategically central role in terms of the military. Now, it was still an important oil-producing nation with good statistical probability of all rich finds in unexplored Norwegian waters off the long coastline. An interesting country for its kindly disposed ally, the superpower in the United States, as well as for the European nations. For this small nation's distant foreign service agent, currently the country's ambassador in London, it was a question of surviving under such circumstances without losing himself. Because he did fear losing himself. In other words, he feared ceasing to relate to what was noble in his own life. In other words, he feared damnation. It had been there the whole time as a threat, but now it had become acute. The fact that I, continue, I can continue as before is a sign that I haven't lost myself, he thought. It has merely reinforced my fear of that happening, and that's good, even though it's more troublesome than ever before. In fact, it can seem like sheer hell, and I really have to pull myself together in order to find the energy to fulfil obligations and joys, he thought, as he pulled into the driveway to the residence in South Kensington. It was late on Sunday evening, and he used his keycard and the coded panels to let himself into the magnificent building where a new week awaited his efforts, official signatures and diplomatic judgment, often his insight as well, before he could again drive off in one of the embassy cars to pick up his son, for another weekend in London. Serve his God? Armand was an atheist, or rather an agnostic. Serve his country? Armand, in his heart, had been a disloyal servant to his country, although not outwardly. Serve his society? Armand feared he was a hanger-on, regardless of how that was viewed. Now he was going to pick up his son, whom he had not prevented from becoming a professional soldier in a special unit that had fought the war to which Armand himself was strongly opposed, and who had returned from that war disabled. Yet the claim is made here, once again, that if Armand cannot be connected with a noble life, then he quite simply does not exist. Um, so, a question would be... Um, how does Dag's uh, politics as, and his very political writings feed into a novel like this? Is, is, does he see this tension in the diplomat's role of somehow believing in Norway and believing in his cause, but somehow not becoming a cynic as the sort of central issue, one of the central mm -hmm. issues in this novel? So, Wurden, given that what you have written before was very political, Hvordan um, går den linjen videre i en bok som Armand V? Um, og det at han er diplomat og um, tjener et land som han er ikke... Ja, den... Altså, jeg, jeg er jo altså, fatter... Altså, jeg personlig eh, er jo kjent i Norge for å være Maoist, da. Ja. ja. Så so I personally know I'm known ja. to be a Maoist. Men det er, det er kanskje ikke så mange Maoister igjen. And there's not many of us left. Ikke gang i Norge. Ikke gang i Norge. Not even Norway. Jeg pleier å si at kommunismen igjen er sikkert jeg en av dem enda. Men forløpig så er jeg ikke definerer meg ikke sånn det jeg i dag så kaller jeg meg antikapitalist. Today I call myself an anti-capitalist. Sorry, there was something I didn't quite get. Og når det er Arvan V så er det da et bok som altså det da den skrives da av en forfatter som tydeligvis er meg. Så Armin V. er skrevet av en author som helt klart er meg. Ja, og det handler om en person som heter Armin V. som stort sett uttrykker seg gjennom forfatterens fotnoter til den boken han skriver. Og det er om en person som heter Armin V. som uttrykker seg gjennom fotnoter til den boken han skriver. 
Nå og dag så er det, kan det være vanskelig å avgjøre hvem som snakker. Om det er Arman V som snakker, eller om det er forfatterne bak han som snakker. Så so sometimes then it becomes difficult to know who's actually talking, if it's Arman V who's talking, or the author behind Arman V who's talking. Egentlig så er jo problemet det at jeg, Arman V er diplomat og altså er veldig avhengig av norsk utenrikspolitikk og karriere på å være talsmann for norsk utenrikspolitikk. Mens jeg, forfatteren, er altså en frittstående forfatter som er helt uavhengig av alle sammenhenger, egentlig. There's the tension between um, Armin Vey, who's a diplomat, who is working for Norway and everything that Norway stands for, and me as the author, who I'm independent and I don't, I don't stand for what Armin Vey, for, for what Armin Vey is working for. I romanen om Armin Vey så er, er, er innebærer da en ganske stor tragedie, nemlig at Armin Vey, som har blitt ambassadør i London faktisk, det slutt, Ar Ar I London. So it's a great tragedy that that Ottoman V has become. So he's Okay, so he's, he's done very well for himself in his career and shown by the fact that he becomes the ambassador um, to Britain, but he's also de, a very men, radical man and can come with quite sort of sarcastic comments. Men denne åpenhjertigheten gjør det også at man stoler på ham i departementet. So the people in, in um, the ja. diplomatic service trust him precisely because he is so open, um, yeah, open because Yeah, because what I'd say is it's not... You might think from that that it's a deeply, um, an account of either a deeply cynical man or a deeply critical book, but he's actually a deep, he's a very sympathetic character in lots of ways. So man can tro out from what has been said is that he is a very cynical man, but actually he is a very fine man. A fine man, loyal. Yeah, a loyal man, yeah. In opposition to what he wrote. Yes, so he's a very loyal man, unlike his author. Men han kommer altså inn i en stor tragedie, nemlig at Sønnen, han blir yrkesmilitær, og boka foregår tydeligvis i et fremtidsskrevet innenfor et fremtidsscenario noen ti år fremover, eller fem-seks fremover, slik at Norge er med i en krig, noe tilsvarende som var i Libya, faktisk. Boka er jo skrevet før den. Men det kan sette godt tenke noe tilsvarende. Og den fører til at denne soldaten, sønnen, han blir skadd og blir blind. Ok, så en av de tingene som skjer i boka er at hans sønn begynner å bli en elitsoldat. And it's actually set, at the time it was written, it was set about 5-10 years in the future, because Norway had not been to war with anyone. And, and the, then the tragic event happens where his son is blinded. And that refers to the fact that Arvan, the diplomat, Norges ambassador in London, stod in kvaler. For that he had land, and Norge and their allies who were sent to the war. And that's why he thought about it. Men så sier jeg han da, men han kan ikke forlate tjenesten. Ok, så det faktum at han er i en reell konflikt, da, fordi det er hans landet som har sendt sin sønn utenfor, og han føler at han har å si noe, men han... Han føler seg at uansett så er han dømt til å følge med på ferden. Han har valgt det. Og det har Adalarmannsfinnspitt. Det lemmet er ikke det. Jeg er fri. Jeg kan melde meg ut når som helst. Og jeg tenker, da tenker jeg, det er vel egentlig det romanens innerste budskap er egentlig henvendt til meg selv. 
Hva gjør du med den friheten din? Jeg er en av de få mennesker i Norge som faktisk er et fritt menneske. Ok, så... So, so He, he feels that he's condemned to carry on in this service for his country. Um, and, and then there's the question of how does... He, and yet he is still free to leave if he wants to. Um, and in a way, that's a question to the author. You know, what do I do with my freedom? Mm. And... I, did you... Saw that you were one of the four free men in i Norge. Ja. Ja. And that I am one of the few free, free people in Norway. Ja. Hmm. Ja. And, um, I'll maybe just ask a final question then we'll turn it over to you, the audience. And it's one that's behind many of the things that we've talked about, which is, as you've gathered, if you haven't read Doug, it's very, very hard to anticipate what's coming next because the, the pacing is so peculiar. Um, and so in a way, my question was, um, if you could maybe speak a little bit about Um, how he knows when a section, because they're often written in sections, these are all footnotes to a novel that we don't actually have access to. So they are like sections, numbered sections, and equally and almost as much in, in, in uh, T. Singer as well, they're little chunks. How does he know when a section's ended, and how does he know when a novel's ended? Because there's no grand crescendo or epiphany at the end of these novels. Mm. Så um, han vill höra vad du har att säga si med den det, med tempo och hur mycket plats tänkta. Hur vet du när det är um, en sektion eller du har dessa forskliga byggeblockerna på måtta? Hur vet du när det är färdigt och hur vet du överhuvudet när romanen är färdig när det är ingen crescendo det är en and the end of the novel. Yeah. Yeah. Ja, det er det är det det är det är det är det är det är det grubler over. Det, det, det er veldig mye av min måte å jobbe på er jo egentlig å prøve å løse de problemene, for det er øh, kompliserte spørsmål og det er veldig mye ikke jeg øh, øh, Kan jeg ta litt? Ja. ja. Yeah. So they're precisely the questions that I, um, I ponder on and that I'm, I'm struggling with um, and as an author that's what I'm addressing the whole time and trying to work out How to end? How to Hvordan man skal ende? Ja, det er det. Er, det, er, det, er, det, er, det er, ja, hvordan ende? Det, 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 det får gå som det går, holdt jeg på å si. Men det er, under, det er underveis. Det er underveis bøkene skapes. Ok. Slut, slutten i seg. Slutten går. Slutten får du bare... Det har jeg aldri hatt problemer med for noen bøker. The, um, the end it comes of itself. It's, it's something that happens of itself. But it's the process that is that what becomes the novel and he ne- he ne- I don't worry about the end okay, they can, happen I can't tell it it's for example for 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 father who writes and Arbadre as a person yeah so I'll take an example so, from so Arbadre so what they worked with also that I knew that when I should write up Arbadre I was one thing I was sure of I would never use my own freedom to hone that man who was som var avhengig av den norske statsråd. Okay. Og, 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 og lage karriere. Jeg anklaget ikke Arman V fordi han ønsker å lage uh-huh. karriere innen utenrikstjenester. Det gjør ikke. Hvorfor skal verden skal gjøre det? Ok. Så når du venter litt. Jeg forholder meg sympatisatt hele tiden, og det mener jeg. Ok, jeg skal ja. I'll, I'll try and summarize this. Um, so when he was writing Ar- the character of Armin V, he made a very conscious decision that he was never going to scorn Armin V for, mm. for joining the diplomatic service and for service, serving his country. And he, he never judged him or criticized him for doing that. Mm. Ja, og det betyr blant annet at, at, at noen ganger så vet du ikke hvem som snakker. Hvem er Armin V, og hvem er forfatteren bak han? Yeah, and so og, det, og det er en måte for meg å... Og det var helt avgjørende måte å jobbe med denne boka for å okay. kunne, kunne skrive den. Og so det er vel egentlig derfor det er opp. Det er vel egentlig det, også derfor det, derfor det blir fotodroman. Okay. At det problemet der er det. det et eller annet måte så er løsningen på det problemet som jeg synes er der, det er fotodroman. If, okay. if I could just say, the way you're gathering, if you're like me, you know, without Norwegian, the, the uh, carries difficult job. It's a bit like reading the novel. You keep thinking, yeah, that's sick. Oh, no, 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 there's more. <laughs> there's, there's another chain station which we haven't yet described. Uh, so that, that you don't always know who's talking, whether it's Armand or the author, which is why the footnote, um, why it's a footnote novel, 
because that, that is something that allows him to use that format. Um, and det att du, du skriver fotnoter att det blev ett fotnoterroman för det det var uklart när det var fatten som snackade och när det var det Ja, ja, alltså det var ett våten förhållande mellan uh, författarstämmen ja. alltså min stämme och och Arban V som också har en stämme i boken. Ja. Alltså den blandas väl ofta samman och det är en okay. då Och det och det ut där fotot så gör det möjligt. The footnotes make it possible. Hade hade haft fotot så ville inte det 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 måste ni göra det för vart möjligt tror jag. So that they're they're decisive to the form because they allow him to use both voices at the same time mm-hmm. and to meld mm-hmm. them together so mm-hmm. that it's in indistinguishable. I think I'll open up to the audience. At the back there there's a gentleman. Just wait wait for the mic please. Så nu kommer det publiken på oss. Publiken. Uh, thank you. Um, I was wondering how much of this kind of unconventional way of writing that Dag has um, comes from exercising his muscles as a writer, if you like. So he's setting up a deliberate act of trying to write in that way. Or, or how much of it, if any, is just a result of the way he thinks and operates anyway? Mister, nej där. Um, han lurer på hur mycket eller hur vitt den ukonventionella måten du skriver på är er, um, resultat av måten du tänker på. The, the way you think, or the way, yeah, or the, f- of, of the way of your thinking process anyway. Är er det hur du tänker uansett, eller är er det for, en utfordring till dig som författare? det den ukonventionella måten att skriva på. Uh, jag tror att uh, jag tror det ligger jag tror det faktiskt min tone där på en måte. Tror jag där den har nog ligget i mitt fallskap allredan från första första dag. Ja. Det tror jag. Men men den där utvecklas utrolikt genom genom tiden och inte minst var det blir klarare för mig efter uh, de kinesiske utopides samsamrud uh, og jeg begynte på mitt 90-tals fatterskap okay. så tror jeg det har vært veldig mye, veldig mye klarere på måten jeg tenker på som er nå på en måte hvem er jeg og hvor skal jeg og hva skal jeg gjøre og da må jeg, da må jeg finne det hva altså jeg jeg er nok jeg er nok en outsider av uh, både, både natur men men jag har också blivit tvungen att bli dansare. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So I've, I, the tone has been there right from the start, but it's developed and become much clearer as as I've continued to write. And and when I um, particularly in the, the my work from the 90s after um, he the given up the Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. The Chinese. Um, I suppose the Maoism, um, and it's about who am I, where am I, um, where am I going, and that I'm an outsider by nature, but I've also been forced to be an outsider. Ja, altså typisk for vår tid, det er at alle mennesker innbilder sig, at de er ansat eller at de har en... Uh, <coughs> altså, mitt kollega Per Pettersson, så sier han sånn, sier si, norske kollega Per Pettersson, uh, har sagt väldigt uh, väldigt klokt om litteratur och för sin del det kommer där att personer i hans böcker de är de är de är mina stöttmän. De törr att göra det allt det jag inte törr. Och då tillsvarade jag verkligen att mina personer är mina stöttmän, men det är er då tillsvarande. Alltså det för att alla människor i Norge tror att eller världen lag tror att egentligen bak dem står alltid en kommunikationsexpert en reklamerådgiver og skal lære og skal si at alt skal forsøke å fremstille seg så godt som mulig at du lever i en god verden og selv er veldig god det ligger under og så skal du vise deg frem og hvordan du agerer på den måten mens jeg, mens jeg beskriver bøker jeg er ikke jeg er ikke reklamemann jeg har ikke noe vare å selge jeg skal ligge noen steder Jeg håper å si, å si, å la meg være i fred, holdt jeg på å si, og det sier jeg ikke da. <laughs> ok. Um, så so 
So most people imagine that um, they have a communication expert, that there, there's something behind them, there's something more. Um, and his, my colleague, Pierre Peterson, once said that the people in his books are actually his stuntmen and so that they dare to do things that he doesn't dare to do. And it's, it's similar um, for Doug, but he says, I'm not, I'm not an advertising man. I'm not, I, and most of all, I actually just want to be left in peace. Mm. <laughs> Can we take another question at the back there? Publishers will often choose the most accessible books to translate first, and I don't know if that's the case here. And Is Doug involved in choosing which books get translated first? Forlagene pleier å velge de bøkene som er mest tilgjengelige for publikum først, og han lurte på om du er med i valget av hvilke bøker som blir utgitt her. Nei, det er jeg ikke. Det har jeg ikke hatt noe det har jeg ikke hatt noe med å gjøre, nei, nei, så jeg sier ja takk til det, man vil oversette det. No, I've had nothing to do with it, and I just say yes, please. Another question, let's hear, gentlemen. I'm curious if there are any writers who, he has read in translation, writers who write in English, so people from maybe the UK or the US that Doug has read and whom he likes. Okay. Um, hvem har du lest fra det engelske språklige, hvilken engelske forfattere som du har lest i oversettelse har du likt, og, og hvem liker du å lese? Engelsk? Engelsk, ja. Åh. Oh. <laughs> I oversettelse, da. Okay. Ja, jeg skjønner det. Ja, 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 ja. Ikke mange. Nei, jeg har ikke sett at jeg har lest mest amerikansk som har kommet av, faktisk. American? Ja, ja, ja. Ja, men det er bra. Hvem? Ja, akkurat nå kommer jeg ikke fra noen... Jeg har faktisk ikke lest mest særlig mye engelsk. Ok, jeg har faktisk ikke lest mye engelsk. Jeg har lest Dickens, selvfølgelig. Dickens. And what I have read has been American. I can't think of any names of the way. Yeah, faktisk vært. Jeg har faktisk vært noksensidig opptatt av sentraleuropeisk litteratur. I've almost been exclusively interested in central European literature. Tysk, fransk, polsk. German, French, Polish, Czech. A question here. I believe that Dag has a passion for football. And uh, I was wondering if you ever considered using his inimitable style and applying that to a novel about footballing, about football. Du er veldig glad i fotball. Ja. Og han lurer på om du noen gang har tenkt å bruke din stil og, og skrive måte på en fotballroman. Ikke fotballroman, men jeg har skrevet, jeg har skrevet fem bøker om, 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 om World, World Cup i fotball. Ja. Sammen med min kollega Jo Myslet. Men jeg har jo skrevet om fotball. Jeg har skrevet en roman som heter Roman 1987. Og den første delen av den, så er da hovedpersonen, Fjord heter han. Han er journalist i en sosialdemokratisk avis i Norge og skriver om fotballkampene på Lillehammer. Og det er den tredje versjonen, da. Han har masse fotballspillet på. Og da følger jeg da, selv i Norge så er regnes tredje versjon i Midt-Norge for å være noe av det mest intensigende fotballspillet som kan gjøres. Og journalisten legger ikke fingrene imellom for å si hvordan det kjeder seg, for han kommer selv fra en by med beste laget i Norge. Ok. Og det, ja. Så jeg har ikke skrevet en novel om fotball i seg selv, men han har skrevet fem bøker om fotball med en norsk kollega som heter Jon Michelet. Og i hans novel, novel 1980, 1980, roman 1980, 
1987. Um, there is actually a bit about football. The, the, the protagonist is a journalist called Fjord from um, a social democratic paper, and he writes about third division uh, football football games in central Norway. And even in Norway, um, third division is seen to be pretty irrelevant. And this, journal, this journalist comes from a town with one of the first division teams. Han sa att han kommer från första eller en av de stora. Han kommer från en by med en av de stora lagarna i Norge. Så så det hade så det. Men det kommer jag kommer inte till att skriva något mer fotboll om det. För att jag är inte inte det som upptar mig som romantfatter. Det är det inte. Men det var väldigt morsomt att skriva dessa böcker, reportage från VM i fotboll. Det var väldigt morsomt. Men men det är inte romaner då. I'm not going to write about uh, any novels about football because as, as an author that's really not what um, concerns me or interests me but I re- I enjoyed writing those five volumes about the World Cup. <laughs> I think we have time for one last question. There's a lady at the back. Hello and thank you. Will you say thank you for coming and talking to us? I just wondered, I haven't read the two books that you're talking about today and I wondered how... Dag would describe how he would persuade or describe them if he wanted to try and persuade me to read them. How what would he say they were about? How would he how would he introduce me to them? Because I still feel a little bit confused. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're asking him to do his own blurb. That's uh... well. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, that's a fair question. So we gärna tacka för att du har kommit och snakka. Och hon har inte läst böckerna, men hon vill gärna höra hurdan om du skulle få henne till att läsa böckerna om du skulle liksom sälja in på matta böckerna till henne vad ville du se si? för hon har fortsatt lite förvirrad i den samma den samma boken roman 1928 vad jag skrev om den nu heller den den så har jag också 50 sidor tror jag om en annan sport och det är Det er en sport som ingen av dere har hørt om her, tenker jeg. Det er søyteløp. Lengde, søyteløp. Som lengdeløp for sleg. Det er, det er altså det er to menn som går står og løper ut i stadion. For, og så... Først 500 meter, så 1500 meter, så 1500 meter, så 1000 meter. 1000 meter løper i 25 runder rundt to mann. Og den sporten er, var, var nordmenn, det var favorittsporten i Norge. Og den har jeg skrevet 50 sider om, skjøytesesongen 1963. Og det har jeg pleid å si, at jeg ikke skrevet, fordi jeg vil, vil, vil ikke tiltrekke det, for alle disse folk i Norge som er interessert i skjøyteløp, det tvert imot ikke har trukket. Jeg slett ikke leste den boka. Men det var det jeg gjerne vil nå med den skildringen, det er danske kvinner. Og danske kvinner bor i et flatt land hvor de aldri har hørt om det sporten en gang. Og det, hvis jeg greier å skrive så godt om denne vår favorittsport til danske kvinner, da er jeg kommet langt som fatter. Så jeg, tar, jeg vil gjerne anbefale den boka til deg. Ok. In the novel that he was just talking about, um, novel 1987, where, where he writes about third division um, football, he also writes 50 pages about speed skating, um, which is two men skating around a stadium, and, and there were various meters, which are, um, but a 25 meter is, uh, or the longest race is 25 rounds of, of the stadium. And, and this is a really popular sport in Norway. And, and this particular section is about 1963. And he, he doesn't want to attract people who are interested in speed skating. He's thinking about Danish women <laughs> who live in a flat country and don't know anything about this, so that if he can write well enough to interest Danish women in speed skating, he's done his job. I did it Thank <laughs> you.
it remains for me to thank Doug again and to thank Carrie for interpreting what not an easy job. And to, and to remind you that we'll, uh, Doug will be signing his work in the adult tent and just give us time to get there and we'll be there. Hope to see you there. Thanks. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.